0: Uh, uh, we have a number of books upstairs and so uh, feel free to look through them and then give them, uh, let Chelsea know and she would get that sorted out uh, so that we can get that book across to you and you can grow, you can grow. Reading is a good habit. Amen. Thank you worship team and thank you church for your giving. Luke chapter 15 this morning, Luke chapter 15 this morning. I have a couple of slides that I'd like to show you um, as I begin preaching this morning. And uh, I believe most of us are familiar with with the story of the Thai uh, football players that went missing a couple of years ago. Uh, They went on an excursion with their coach. And uh, on that excursion, it began to rain. It was the monsoon season. And uh, it rained so bad that it flooded the cave. Uh, these twelve boys were aged uh, between eleven and seventeen years old, and uh, the name of the cave they hiked on was the 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 cave was Tam Luang Nan Non, and uh, interestingly, I I've read the story so many times, I've I've preached on it before, but I found out something about about it this time that I never never saw in the past, and that is that. 10 days after they had gone missing, the British divers found the group alive, all of them, and so when they found them alive, they immediately signaled uh, as many international rescue teams as they could. And a team of uh, 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 Royal Navy SEALs from Thailand came in, the military medic came in, uh, and they made their access into the cave. But what was so significant is that the, the ones who saved or rescued these boys were not the professional divers. The professional divers couldn't gain access to where the boys were located at. This was off the Pattaya Beach. They couldn't gain access to it, so they had to get hobby divers to come in. And they got hobby divers to come because these hobby divers were used to the fact of swimming into uh, very narrow tunnels and they were familiar with the fact that this area that that, that, that they were stuck in, uh, they could gain access into to save them. So if you look at an image here, the first image that I want to show you this morning, here's the cave. The boys were found somewhere here and the distance in order for them to get out would be about 2km. So, it is quite a journey's away, but if you look at the curve right here, the divers, the professional divers and the hobby divers knew that that curve would become a problem in order to save these boys and bring them out and rescue them alive. Most of them realized that 12 and 17-year-old boys are probably going to wiggle about and when they get to that place, it's going to be hard to keep them without moving as much. So what did they do? They decided to sedate those boys. And so what they did was, the, uh, uh, and it was so interesting because, I, I never, like I said, I never saw this part of the story in the past, but it was very interesting that they told the parents that we're going to get the boys to swim out. They're going to make it out alive. They're going to be fine and we're going to get them out but what they didn't tell the parents was they were going to slightly sedate them with ketamine and they were going to handcuff them out of the cave why because when they are underwater and if they get panic they pull the face mask off and they may drown and die so to calm the nerves the parents were told the boys were being taught to dive and the media was the the media reported that each of them would be tethered to an air hose and then swim out with one rescue diver, and so this would be a scene of what you would see in the cave. Isaac, the next next one, please. Uh, uh, a scene that you would see. Uh, these are the boys, and I want to talk about them in a minute. But but the next one, um, and so this is the this is what it looked like. They would they would have the, 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 first, the first diver lead on while the boy would be in the middle and then a following diver on the back end just to make sure that... And so they did trips upon trips just to get these boys out. Obviously, there were people who died, but none of the boys died because of the strategy that they, they applied and the only hope they had was to sedate these young boys. And when they sedated them, they pulled them out this, in, in this form. One of the divers on the front carried the oxygen tank while the back was pulled on and then the one following behind uh, guided the rope. And I begin to think about that, beloved. I want you to just ponder. Here are the 12 boys. Go back to the photographs of these boys. God values every single one of them. In material of how life may play out, beloved, sometimes the only way God can rescue us is by silencing us through circumstances, situations, seasons. Because He knows if I don't take you through that, when I'm trying to rescue you from your own bondages and darkness in life, you're going to fight back. You're not going to let me do it. But how many know that our God is in the rescue business? And I want to talk to you about that because when you think about this story, it so relates to the nature of the God we serve where there were so many rescue missions who said there's no way these boys will be alive. There's no way we can bring them out from the cave alive. There is no way. But there were some who looked at it and said, no, we must do it. And can I say to you, beloved, that this is exactly what Christianity represents. You can go ahead and remove this. Christianity in context simply is, we needed rescuing and God rescued us. All of us here this morning needed rescuing. We were in the cave of our own sin and life and everything that we were dealing with, and this is what the good news is really about. The good news of God is simply that in Christianity, in our relationship with God, God didn't just highlight our condition, but God gave us a solution. He didn't just tell us how deep of in trouble we are. He didn't just highlight to us how bad our situations are. He didn't just you know, imply and show us, you know what, uh, you guys have gone so deep into it, there's nothing I can do to save you or to redeem you. But when God looked at our lives, when He looked at who we are, beloved, He realized there are things He will do on purpose to rescue us. And so I want to talk to you for a few moments, a sermon I've called Rescue Story. It's a bit of a different sermon this morning, but I want you to tag along with me as we look at verses 1 through 7. Luke chapter 15, verses 1 through 7 this morning. Then all the tax collectors and the sinners drew near to Him to hear Him. The Pharisees and scribes complained, saying, this man receives... Um, sinners and eats with them. So he spoke this parable to them, saying, "What man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he loses one of them, and does not leave the ninety-nine in the wilderness and go uh, does not leave the ninety-nine in the wilderness and go after the one which is lost until he finds it, and when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulder, rejoicing." And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep which was lost. Verses 7, I say to you that likewise there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over ninety-nine just persons who need no repentance. Let's pray this morning. Father, I ask you to anoint this time and to meet with us, God, Let your word go forth and speak to us, God. Give us hope, I pray this morning, in Jesus' name. Amen. So Jesus used the setting in Luke 15 as a teaching moment. He spoke about this to the people that were present there. And Luke 15, if you know anything about Luke 15, beloved, it is seemingly God's lost and found department. It is where you find God speaking about the lost sheep. It is where you find God referring to the lost coin or the lost silver. It is where God speaks about the lost son. And the good news in all of that is inherently all that was lost was found. So God indeed is revealing something profound to you and I that there is none lost when it comes to God. God desires to rescue, God desires to redeem, God desires to save, and Jesus in this passage is surrounded by sinners and tax collectors. Think about this with me. Two groups of people, very two differing opinions of people, but these were religious characters. The Pharisees and the scribes were religious characters. They vexed Jesus Often, You read the Bible and you see Jesus was always annoyed or to say the least irritated with who they were. They always had a smarter suggestion. They always had a better idea than Jesus. And you find this to be true, all through scripture. And we find the law being exerted upon people that they come across. And so Jesus in this passage revealed something that contradicted them. They were so bound up by the law. Listen carefully to me. The religious people were so bound up by the law that they lacked compassion. But Jesus had compassion without the demand to break the law. See, there's a difference right there. The compassion that Jesus expressed They went beyond the law, beloved. They went beyond the very reality and the nature of what the law implied. And so when you look at the religious leaders in that time, they were people who went with the law and they were people who had chosen to avoid a certain group of people or a certain segment of people. They were very, today's term, they were prejudiced. They were biased. They, were, they sanctioned certain categories of people. Oh, you are not in our caste system. So you will not fit in with us. And so they pushed them aside. But as you look at Jesus, Jesus took the concept of the law or their, clean, or their cleanness to a completely different level. Jesus risked defilement by touching the leper. Something that the Pharisees and the scribes will refuse to do. Jesus laid hands on the Sabbath. Something that the Pharisees and the scribes would refuse to do. Jesus sat down with tax collectors and sinners. Something that the Pharisees and the religious leaders would refuse to do. And so here is Jesus. He chose to refuse. He refused to play the caste system, and he neglected to wash as the Pharisees had told him to wash. There's a certain way of washing your hands and washing. And Jesus did none of that. So he was the he was the uh, what's the right word? He was the the pain in the neck to them. He was an annoyance to them. Because to them, it's like, this is how it is. And for Jesus, He completely rocked the boat. And when you think about it, beloved, with that as a backdrop, why was Jesus such? Because Jesus is the Good Shepherd. And the Bible says that He lays down His lives for His sheep. So He contradicted them very directly. But at the same time, can I say to you, beloved, Jesus loves people. He despised their religion. What they saw as judgment, Jesus saw as redemption. Can I say that again, beloved? I I was thinking about the best way to, 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 to cap what I'm trying to explain here. When they saw judgment, Jesus saw redemption. They enforced and said, oh, you're not fulfilling this, you're not doing this, you're not. And so when Jesus showed up and Jesus is beginning to speak to tax collectors, when Jesus is speaking to sinners, to them, this is an offensive act. How dare you, Jesus? So the parable of the sheep represents a rescue story. So let's talk about that parable for a few moments and then I'll bring this to a close. The parable that we're reading here not only describes and defines God's unconditional care and love for His people, but it also emphasizes, beloved, that we are capable of wandering away. In other words, a sheep, if you understand the character, the nature of this of this, uh, 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 of this being, it is known to, to get lost because of its foolishness. One commentator said, stupidity. It often wanders away and it fails after it has gone away. Two things. It fails to realize that it's in danger and it fails to find its way back. Some of us have had cats and dogs like that. I've not had any just so you know, (laughs) but they wander off, and you're like, where are they? And they're gone, they found a new owner now, and so they're not coming back. And you realize that there are possibilities, just like that, they wander off. And this is, the re- this is what Jesus is highlighting here. He uses sheep as an analogy because He realized, beloved, that they are fearful by nature. They will never lie down. If you know anything about sheep, they will never lie down unless they feel or they felt secure. Secure. They are afraid of waters that are flowing fast. They will never be found near a river where the water flows fast. This is why Jesus made that statement that I am the good shepherd, and he says, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down by still waters. Because sheep were fearful beings or creatures. They were afraid when the waters were flowing fast. They were afraid when the waters were Streaming down in, in, in quick or, or in fast, uh, being fast. But as sheep, they will wander off. And that's why the shepherd were always searching to redeem them. So, with those things being the backdrop of what I'm saying, I want to highlight a few things to you. If you read this passage, there's one thing to be true. In verses 4, the Bible says, What man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he loses one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the wilderness, go after the one which is lost, until he finds it. I want to highlight those words, until he finds it. I want to make a statement to you, and I want you to take note, beloved, right here. If you understand anything about our rescue story, God is always pursuing us. He never gives up on us. This is the story of the sheep that we're reading here, that when that one wanders away, more than anything else, God loves that 99, but He knows that 99 that are found in the sheepfold are safer than the one that's in danger outside. And God's love for His people, God's love for the sheep, God's love for you and I remains the, way, the, remains the same, beloved. He refuses to let us remain the way we are. He works on us. He searches us out. He comes and He values us. And beloved, as I said, He pursues us. Even when we wander off, He pursues us and He searches us out. You see, when you think about it in life, beloved, this is a 10 ringgit note. And when you talk about a note, a a 10 ringgit, that's its value. Now, I can do this with it. Now, don't cringe and get all upset. Don't worry, it's $10. I can put it on the floor. I can step on it. I can pick it back up. I can crush it all I want. I can go back to the store and it remains a ten ringgit note. Your value in God never goes down just because you wander off. It stays the same. You can wander off You can flirt with the world. You can mess yourself up. You can get yourself all tied up and entangled with the things of the world. But God says, even if you wandered off, your value hasn't changed. We view people and we value them by their faithfulness, We value them by their commitment. We value them by their obedience. We value them by what they can do. We value them by all of those faucets. But Jesus values us simply because we are made in His image. That's why He continues pursuing us. Even when we have messed up, Even when we have blundered, even when we have wandered off, even when we have gone astray, even when we are not following His dictates and His commands, God is finding, He's on a rescue mission and just like this Thai boy that was stuck in that cave, He has the oxygen tank, He's holding on to it and saying, I'm giving you the lifeline, follow me. And this is what God does for us. In Hosea chapter 3, we know the story. In verses 1 and 2, the Bible says, Then the Lord said to me, Go again, love a woman who is loved by a lover. Now, Gomez, as we know it, or, or Homer, sorry. Was it Homer? Goma. Goma, Goma, Goma. Goma. Loved by a woman or by a, by a lover and is committing adultery just like the love of the Lord for the children of Israel who look to other gods. Love the raisin cakes of the pagans. So I bought her for myself for 15 shekels of silver and one and a half homers of barley. What is God saying right there? That even, you know the story of Hosea. She had gone astray. We know Hosea married a prostitute. We know Hosea married this woman who continued to play the harlot, the Bible says. And God was using that as an example to show the people, to show His followers, to show Israel, that even when you have gone back astray, you have committed adultery again and again and again and again. And even when the world has used you and drained you out, and you're completely nothing anymore in the eyes of the world, God says, I'll buy you back. Now, I'm going to tell you a story this morning that I've never shared publicly. I've never said this to my wife and I. Obviously, we talked this over, but in 2005, I backslid. I left church. And we left church because of our relationship. We wanted to be together, but there were disagreements. And um, we decided at that point in time that if that was the case, it was no longer for us to live for God and serve God. So we left church and we came on a Wednesday night, I remember. I took a taxi, that time there was no Grab, there was taxi, cab, super cab, 780 something. <laughs> and I uh, came to church that night, and so the church was located in uh, SS4, and, and there was a night market every Wednesday night. I remember meeting her downstairs, and um, Pastor called us, we went to the room, he sat down with us, he spoke to us Told us, you know what, you have to get your heart right You have to do the right thing But I'm a young punk, I'm, I'm rebelling I don't want to listen to that advice So my dad, as gracious as he was And as Indian as he was He got up, he gave me a tight slap I'm not joking, in the office he slapped me, right? He slapped me. He said, "You're not parapam." He slapped <laughs> me on my face. <laughs> I told you, I never told you this story. <laughs> yeah. He slapped me so hard. I told my wife, at that time we were just courting. We were not even not not even married. We said, "You know what? That's it. We're done. I'm leaving." We went downstairs. They all had no clue. Walked down, we went down, we took our bags, and we left church. So we're never coming back. Never stepping back into church. And we left. We we decided to backslide. That was what we did. We backslid. And the first place we went was I went home to try to get my clothes. So I took a taxi all the way. And back then it was very expensive. I took a taxi all the way from Klanajaya and I went back to USJ 20. And these clowns changed the lock. I couldn't go in. I love you. <laughs> they changed the lock. I was fuming. Like how? they do that and you know and I had all the keys I had the master key (laughs) they changed it and so needless to say I went to Aeon bought clothes and I left the house I said no more but I tell you the story beloved because God never gave up on me when I went when I left the first place that I got a job in was a Christian bookstore called Salvation in SS2. The only place that wanted to employ a 17-year-old guy. (laughs) I took the job. And guess what? Every day you go to work, what do you listen to? You think you listen? Suicidal! No, no, no. You listen and I worship you, Jesus. Every day I was bombarded with worship songs. But I wasn't living right. I continued to sin. And God didn't give up. As people come in, I'm at the counter, people would come in and they would talk to me about God. I just kind of push it aside. And I would remember, beloved, Pastor Ellen standing outside of salvation one day. Yen and I had just eaten, back then Murni was famous, SS2 Murni, and uh, we had just had dinner and we were walking, and he, he met me there, and, and Pastor Allen has this character in him that he always wants to, find, he wants to fight you. I said, hey, Pastor, calm down. I said, hey, he, 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 he's, he's, he was, you know, just, he said, hey, what's up, what, what are you doing here? And I tell you, at that time, I was so aggressive as a young man, I I wanted to punch him. So much of anger in my heart. But God never gave up. Yen tells me the story that Danny, from our mother church, came up to her and said, come back to church. Don't stay away from the house of God. One day she's walking back from the office. Pastor Ellen and Elvin is sitting down there. And and he said, You know what? Where where's, where's Gary at? He calls me Gary. Where where is he at? He says, Oh, you know, Pastor, I think he's somewhere, he's working or whatever. He says, He tell him he's a covert. I think he was just trying to trigger me, really. And I remember, beloved, all of these encounters. But I think the trigger was one day my mom. I'm standing at the counter in SS2, Salvation Bookstore. I'm standing there. And she comes. I don't know why she came. <laughs> but she came. And she stood right outside the store. And she stood like this and she just looked at me. And I was busy. And, and the next thing I know, she was looking right at me. She was heartbroken. She was disappointed. She knew I was messed up. But God didn't give up. I continued to live my life. I started stealing. I started robbing. I was a messed up person. All in a span of two months. And then one day, my dad calls me up. And he's furious. I told you, you know, it's that thing in him. (laughs) And he says, Where are you at? I said, I'm here, I'm here, here, here. And so he said, you wait there. I'm coming now. And he wanted to fist fight me. For the first time in my life, my dad wants to fight me. I said, you come. We'll fight. We'll take a one-on-one. Pastor Allen's calling me. Don't do it. Don't do it. My mom's calling. Don't do it. Don't do it. I said, just keep quiet. I'm not the least bit bothered what you people have to say. I will fight this man. Rage and so the next morning we didn't fight eventually I would have won (laughs) but but jokes aside it was a painful chapter beloved and so the next morning he had gone for a doctor's appointment and found out that he was a diabetic and God shook me God showed me that through that pain And that agony. God was waking me up. God was showing me something. God was revealing to me something that just I refused to learn. He was using all of that primarily to pursue me. Listen to me. I told you all of that. All of that happened in a span of six weeks. That's how bad I became. Left home. Left church. Cut off relationships. I cussed people out. It's broken. I was just talking to Yen about it two days, three days ago and that's where the sermon came about. I said, God, you have been so, so gracious to me. I don't deserve it. After all that I have committed, God, you pursued me and you never gave up on me. I remember pastor coming down and sitting down. We we're sitting down in a Chinese restaurant, a corner shop. He says, Gary, come back to church. I beg you, come back to church. Don't live without God. One night I woke up. I've been a disciple for long enough. I've been preaching at that point. I, I got safe. But when I backslid, I really backslid bad. And I remember at that moment in time, beloved, one night I woke up from bed and God gave me a sermon to write. So I went to Pastor Ellen. I said, Pastor, God gave me this message. And I know he was kind of sneering it off. He was like, <laughs> You're back sitting, bro. And God gave you a sermon. But I now realize that God was not giving up on me. Son, this is your future, this is your destiny. Don't give up on it. And I, got, I came back and I rededicated my life two and a half months later in church. And the rest is history. I can tell you stories, beloved, but I won't go into details. One painful encounter after another. One struggle after. So many things that we went through and I look back today and I thank God, God never gave up on me. Can I tell you, you may think that God is not pursuing, maybe your family, maybe you. I remind you this morning, He is a God who pursues and He never gives up. More than you think you are desiring their salvation, God wants to save them. The second thing you see here and I'm closing very quickly is God reveals his heart in Luke 15:5 and when he has found it the Bible says he lays it on his shoulder rejoicing To know God's heartbeat, God lifted that sheep that had gone and wandered off. God brought that sheep, He placed that sheep upon His shoulder, which was a display of joy. It was a display of uh, 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 excitement rather than disappointment and displeasure. God says, you've messed up, but I want you to know my heart. I'm not disappointed with you. I want you to know my heart. I've not given up on you. I want you to know my heart. I'm not a di- I'm not displeased with you. We all blunder, we all make we all wander off, but God says this is your rescue story. I want to save you. I've not given up on you. This is an imagery of a God who takes upon Himself. The Bible says the sin upon the world, of the world upon Him. Why does He do that? In Isaiah 53, 5, He was wounded. For who? Our transgression. He was bruised. For who? Our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon Him. And by His stripes, we are healed. Listen, beloved. He took it upon His shoulder. God's heart is seen in this passage as a God who doesn't continue to go after us for the mistakes or the mess-ups or the blunders or the failures that we have committed. God says in the book of Psalms, I've thrown your sin as far as the east is from the west. There's hope. You see, God's greatest desire this morning is you and I. It's us. Our rescue story is God redeeming us from the bondage of sin. Just like these children who were rescued from the cave In a place of darkness, in a place of gloom and doom, in a place where there is no hope, in a place where it seems that no one is coming to get them. God's rescue story, beloved, this morning represents setting us free from the bondage of sin. This is our story, beloved. And God's heart to salvage and rescue us remains pinnacle. Can I ask you this morning, can you sense the heart of God? He doesn't want you to go astray. He doesn't want you to move away from Him. He doesn't want you to wander off. Can you sense the heart of God? The Bible says in Luke 19.10, He has come to seek and save that which was lost. The third thing, and we close right here, is God rejoices the most. So, God pursues us, God reveals His heart to us and God rejoices the most. In Luke 15, 6, the Bible says, And when He came home, when He comes home, He calls together His friends and neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with Me, for I found My sheep which was lost. The common denominator in all these three stories, beloved, In the lost and found parables, the common denominator is sheer joy that brought, that pleases God. In Luke fifteen nine and 10, and when she found it, she called her friends, neighbors together, saying, rejoice with me. I found the peace which I lost. Likewise, I say to you, there is joy in the presence of God or in the presence of angels of God over one sinner who repents. In Luke 15, 32, it was right that we should make merry and be glad for your brothers were dead and is alive again and was lost and is found. Nothing gives God greater joy than rescuing you. Your children, your spouse, your loved ones, nothing gives God greater joy than rescuing them. So as I close, I reflected this week and I thought about my past the mess of who I became in that period of time. And I was just telling Yen this week, I said, if only God never rescued us, if only God continued to let us go down that path, I would have become so self-centered. I am self-centered even now. (laughs) All of us are, aren't we? Some way or another but there will be no Jeremy no Julia There would have probably not even been a marriage because I know who I was but because God rescued us so I remind you this morning we forget sometimes We forget what God has done for us. We forget that if only for God, that's why we are who we are and where we are today. We forget sometimes that God is in hot pursuit. He's pursuing us day in and day out. He allows things to happen. And just like a sheep, He wants to carry us upon Him and tell us, you know what, just come home come home. No church family. If I walked away, I've soured my relationship with people around me who today have stood with me through thick and thin. You wouldn't be in my life. Which is my, the greatest blessings for Yen and me and I. Why? Because God rescued us and He does the same for you. I want you to bow your heads with me. We all have a rescue story, church. I told you that I shared what I shared.